Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about the life cycles of people, places, and things. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today we are interviewing Ed Grebianowski about where Mothman goes. And Ed, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your, I guess, connection to Mothman? Sure. Uh, I'm a freelance writer from Buffalo, New York. Uh, and I'm the, one of the writers and researchers for the Stuff You Should Know podcast. And I'm also a musician. And I guess my connection to Mothman is that uh, I had always been interested in the weird ever since I was a kid. And one day I sort of accidentally uncovered the like hidden not so hidden truth about mothman and and came to realize what was actually going on there and was fascinated by it i was actually more interested in like the human element of creating the mothman legend than the actual like mysterious mothman itself oh my god i'm so excited about this now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i first ran across ed when i read your article uh, mothman and expose and I was like, I got to follow this guy on Twitter. And and then, you know, it occurred to me as I was talking to Sarah, probably at least a year ago. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we should interview Ed about Mothman. So here we are a year later. Uh, and, and that's all on basically me. Uh, <laughs> but very grateful to have you here. And so let's start with, so where did Mothman start out? How did the myth grow from its origin? Right. So... I, I I love the origins of things and I'm fascinated by this one in particular because Mothman has become kind of like a weird folk hero these days, it seems like, but we can actually trace the whole origins of it. And it started in late 1966, I think it was November, uh, in a place called Point Pleasant. And uh, I think that's West Virginia, right? Not Ohio. I don't know why it's on the other side. Two young couples were driving to the sort of local makeout area, which happened to be a former World War II explosives processing and storage area. So it had been abandoned and kind of turned into a wildlife refuge. And it was just like this completely abandoned quasi-industrial being taken over by wilderness thing. How dystopian. Right. And I also think it's funny, like they're they're often depicted as like teenagers who are like going out there to make out. They're actually two married couples. Were they together in the car? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Yeah. So it was four people, two two married couples went out, you know, <laughs> to like Lover's Lane. I'm not really sure. Uh, OK. At All night, right. Right. Yeah. And um, so they 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 hauled ass out of there and went straight to the police because they saw a man with glowing red eyes. And he was Ooh. huge and he approached the car or he chased the car in the air and, and is, and they were driving a hundred miles an hour, according to them. And he was, <laughs> he was just soaring along behind them with a 10 foot wingspan, uh, but not flapping his wings. And they were so freaked out. And, um, you know, these kinds of things, if, if you like just read local newspapers a lot all over the country, there's there's always like people see weird stuff places or just odd sightings and things and like nothing ever comes from it. But for some reason, the sheriff held a press conference the next day. He was just like totally bought into this story. 
uh, and it got picked up by the local newspaper and became a thing. So that was like the seed. Some people saw something weird and then, and then it grew from there in in strange and unpredictable ways. Well, and I've two notes, not notes, that's not the right word, but um, West Virginia is full of munitions stuff from World War II. And a lot of it got turned into nature reserves. So that's like, I know that sounds really weird, but it's there's several of them in West Virginia. <laughs> okay, I didn't know that. So this was like, take, took on this weird dystopian bent of these people um, going out to make out, even though they're married, and then like seeing this thing. And I'm like, did they have any substances before? Yeah, like what is going on with these people? It is 1966. But anyway, that's where my mind went. I'm I'm excited to hear like your theories on it. Definitely. Right. And and if, if it helps to kind of picture this, it had the area had this sort of like grid of roads that were obviously used when they were loading and unloading things. But, you know, they're the half overgrown. So you would like turn down one of these roads and you weren't sure if it was just going to sort of dead end into some some growth and then the explosives were stored in these giant concrete domes so the whole area is dotted with these like weird you know like almost like brutalist silos that held bombs at one point really right and i guess later it actually became a super fun site because (laughs) of course heavily contaminated yeah (laughs) so after these these two couples saw Mothman and local newspapers picked it up. How did it kind of how did Mothman sort of go from a local news story of four scared, I'm assuming they're around 20 somethings, to the bridge destroying monster of uh lore? So so that is a long and winding road, or maybe it's a short and winding road. It's definitely winding. So there were a couple of weird sightings that actually predate the that initial sighting um but they were kind of vague and they didn't get picked up by the newspapers as much um but once this became publicized and this you know kind of got into people's heads like oh there's something weird out there uh so all these other sightings came in but like they're really vague some of them kind of sound like what the original two couples saw but some of them are just like completely unrelated like a man was peering into the window of my house I don't know how that's connected to Mothman, but okay. Um, <laughs> or, you know, I saw some weird red eyes at night. Well, like literally any wild animal you shine a light on, their eyes are going to look weird at night. Just all kinds of stuff. One of them was like a woman reported that her little child came in from playing outside and was like, Mommy, I saw an angel. And that somehow got like cataloged as a Mothman sighting. <laughs> so, um, if you actually go back and look at the newspaper reports, there are very few sort of reported on, at least in the press, sightings. And a lot of these reports come from a book by John Keel, who is the pivotal player in this tale. Uh, he wrote a book in 1970 called Strange Creatures from Time and Space. And he just sort of in this book, he just sort of like catalogs weird stuff. Ooh. So he has a chapter on Mothman and it's just kind of like. And then this person saw something and then this person saw something. Uh, and he doesn't really, you know, like cite references or, or where these things came from. It seems like a lot of people were calling in. But it's entirely plausible and actually probable because he admitted as much that John Keel just like made a lot of stuff up to create a better story. 
um but john keel aside basically what happened was like people were like there's something weird going on and for about a year there were people in that area but as much as like 50 or more miles away just like any slightly odd thing they saw they were like holy crap that's mothman um and people who are into that are like invested in the idea of connecting you know into some kind of pattern which i guess all of our brains are like that in some way you know just took all these weird stories and and found ways to make them fit a narrative you see this a lot um where like when something weird is happening and people initially start seeing similar sightings but like they're all very different right it's a man peeking in the window with red eyes or it's like a 10 foot tall moth flying over my car or uh, i saw a gray figure in a field and it suddenly flew away and then much later basically like if somebody makes a movie about it that kind of cements a particular form of the legend in people's minds Mm -hmm. and and from then on almost anybody who reports it will see the thing that we know to be that thing sure Um, and it can spread from there too right exactly so so this is um this is actually a theory that joe nickel who's a a sort of a famous skeptic and writer he developed it initially related to ufos and aliens as well as sasquatch Um, because if you look at reports of aliens people who had like close encounters with beings from spaceships in the early days of the ufo craze they are all over the place like just an absolute science fiction cornucopia of alien forms (laughs) and then the idea of the grays with their big heads and big eyes and tiny bodies i was gonna say like the grays and then suddenly everyone is seeing the grays exactly and all the really weird stuff kind of disappeared and they were just all grays and you kind of see that with bigfoot too like in America in the 60s, there was kind of a Bigfoot craze and like every region had its own Bigfoot, but some of them were really weird, like skunk apes. And uh, we, did I'll, I'll... A, we did a Bigfoot episode. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. So <laughs> and it, kind of the same thing happens, like the the Patterson film comes out that shows Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And so everybody sees what Bigfoot looks like. And suddenly all the weird stuff goes away and all the Bigfoots look like that one. So kind of a similar thing happened with Mothman. It's a little it's a little different in this case because John Keel had a, a personal hand in basically creating this legend. But I guess like we should maybe talk about like what did they actually see out at the at the wildlife management area in nineteen sixty six. That'd be great. Um, yeah, definitely. Like if it's a super fun site, I'm like my mind is going a bunch of different places. Like if it's a wildlife area why not wildlife mm-hmm. um, or, you know, swamp gas? I don't know. I want to hear about that. <laughs> well, the most common theory is that they saw an owl. It's commonly cited as a barn owl. And actually, Joe Nickel himself contacted me once and he was like, a lot of people are mishearing me when I say this. There's a species called the barred owl, B-A-R-R-E-D. Uh, and that's what he thinks it was. And, and that you, makes that makes sense. They're bigger than barn owls. Yeah, they're big and they look weird. Like they have very strange faces. They're they make, enormous too. They make crazy sounds too. They, they do. sound like monkeys having fights. They're right. they're mating right now in our area. And if you open the windows at night, like you hear these weird monkey noises. When I first moved here, I was like, what in the world is that? It is weird. I've never heard that noise myself. 
Yeah, it's strange. You should look it up. I'll find a link and see if I can include a little clip. Oh, yeah, yes. definitely. In the, in the podcast so people can hear what these two couples heard when they yeah. saw Mothman. That so that's funny because in the initial report, the one the woman who was in the back seat was the one who like looked out the back window and was like, Oh my god, it's following us. And she claimed it was making this weird noise, like uh she called it like a giant mouse or something. <laughs> but so so put imagine that like you're out in this area, you're way out in the wilderness, it's dark, it's at night. Maybe you're in the kind of frame of mind that you get. You're, you're feeling a little creeped out by stuff. I mean, like, I'm obviously as, as skeptical as they come. I don't really believe in supernatural stuff. But, man, the woods at night are scary. Like, it's really easy to get yourself freaked out about just about anything. Yeah, and it's, like, this very primal thing because we are originally, you know, from the savannah. And there could be a tiger in the tree. Like, our brains don't, you know, we know logically that's probably not the truth, but it still brings up some feelings like, wow, I'm a little animal and this is dark in the woods and I'm not, I'm not so sure of myself out here. Totally. Right, yeah. It completely bypasses your like rational mind and it's just like, uh-oh. exactly. <laughs> exactly. The other thing about the human mind is that it tries to find patterns and things, visual patterns and things. And we're predisposed to recognizing humanoid patterns. Mm-hmm. So that's why when you see, you know, your coat thrown over a chair at night on, in your bedroom, your mind doesn't immediately go, oh, that's a coat over a chair. It, it goes, oh, that's a there's a person in my bedroom. It's a shadow person. <laughs> um so if you imagine an owl and you're not expecting an owl and it's got this weird face and it has these giant eyes that if you shine light directly at the retinas reflect red. Um, and and maybe there's something below it that's shadowy that just vaguely ever so slightly suggests the shape of a human body. Your brain is going to fill in all those gaps and be like, oh, my God, there's a 10 foot tall man with giant red eyes standing there staring at me. And then. You know, when it takes off and flies away, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> then it's um, no longer a coat on the chair. It's, right. it's a living thing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the sort of tertiary sightings that followed were like this. Like, oh, we were driving down the road and we saw like this gray figure in a field and then it just took off and flew away. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like the same idea. Interestingly enough, I'm not the only one who thinks this because actually in that 1970 book, John Keel himself wrote, we were driving through the TNT area late one night in November 67. We startled ourselves when a huge owl suddenly flapped into the air next to the road. It was so big, it was carrying a full grown rabbit in its talons. Perhaps if a similar owl suddenly fluttered in front of a car filled with teenagers, they might mistake it for something larger and more dramatic. So well, well, there you go. Right. Straight from the man <laughs> himself. So there's a funny connection here to another great cryptid, the Flatwoods monster. Um, yes. And I bring this up because there's a famous picture that somebody drew of the Flatwoods monster. And if you it's this is really easy to find if you just Google it and put it next to a picture of a barn, a barred owl. And 
imagine that that barred owl is standing on a tree branch with, you know, probably some leaves underneath it or maybe a shrub slightly behind it. And it's at night. And the people who found the Flatwoods monster were freaked out because they saw like a meteorite in the sky. So they thought an alien craft had landed or something. Um, you look at those two pictures next to each other and you're like, oh, man, I think I know exactly what happened here. I'm looking at it right now. Like, oh, my God, that is that is an owl wearing a dress. I'm <laughs> so Flatwoods is the geographic center of the state. And uh, it's also one of the few places where there are straight roads in West Virginia and cleared land. And you can actually see to some extent farther than you would in West Virginia. Most of driving in West Virginia, even in the outside of the mountains, like going toward the border of Ohio and Kentucky, very curvy roads, lots of forests, lots of hills, lots of mountains. So you can't see very far. In Flatwoods, you can see much farther. So it would probably, you, you might not notice owls in most of the state unless you heard them. But then seeing them in Flatwoods would be so, sort of distinctive because they actually have like fields and it's actually kind of flat. Interesting. Interesting. I did not know that about the, I did not, I don't know much about West Virginia. I've only been there once and it was very mountainous where I was. So <laughs> yeah, coming up out of North Carolina here, that's the way to get, I'm going to put in quotes home because I haven't lived in Illinois forever, but that's the way to get to Illinois is basically the mountainous terrain of West Virginia. And I've only ever been through the mountainous area. Like you cross the mountains and then I'm in Ohio and then that's you go over from there. So I know almost nothing about West Virginia besides it's pretty. I didn't know all this super fun stuff and that's awesome and owls and dresses and (laughs) 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 it's awesome. Yeah, there's an upland bog uh, called Dolly Sods that has a bunch of unexploded ordinances in it. Uh, Sounds exciting. Yeah, I mean, it could get real exciting real fast. <laughs> so why does it? Uh, okay, this is un- unrelated, but kind of related. Uh, why? Why does it have all these unexploded ordinances? Same with the, same with why they tested a bunch of stuff in New Mexico. The population oh, okay. wasn't very high. I see. All right. That makes and it's, sense. It's easy to hide things. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think so this is another episode into itself. Okay. Uh, so here in Western New York, we got like, we got airplane factories in World War II and you guys got bomb depots. I was in, I was in Michigan. So we just got cars and 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 jeeps <sighs> and trucks and cars and cars and cars. <laughs> <laughs> Organized right. crime in Chicago. That's what. Oh, oh, and sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. I mean, you know, that's what you guys, that's what you guys import and export. Really. <laughs> Organized crime. <laughs> so what are some things that Mothman has done to people or to places in the myth of Mothman? Some of the versions of that initial sighting suggest that or, or report that the two couples had like some kind of weird sunburn. Their skin was was mysteriously reddened. I read the initial account and I didn't see a mention of that. So that might be a detail that got added later. And then some people suffered a phenomenon also associated with UFO sightings that their eyes were were red, like they had, I don't know, bad allergies or something. That's kind of like on the low end of the scale. And it's kind of easy to explain that stuff away, like, you know, whatever. 
But Mothman supposedly either destroyed or was the harbinger of the destruction of the Silver Bridge, which connected Point Pleasant to a town in Ohio across the Ohio River. And like 30, like 36, 30 something people died in that tragedy. Um, So not the cause, but the harbinger, like basically warning people is going to happen. So it's it's a little fuzzy because nobody really connected Mothman to the bridge at the time. In fact, it was kind of the opposite. We we can we can come back to this because this is how John Keel comes into play in, in the creation of this legend. Um, but the bridge collapse happened, you know, like in the same town or very close to the same area as the initial sightings. And I think a later book that John Keel wrote, which became the movie The Mothman Prophecies. That sort of constructed the idea of Mothman as this, like, you know, he wasn't flying around chewing on the bridge. He was like some kind of <laughs> supernatural, you know, harbinger is really the best word for it. Right. Um, so when Mothman appears, you know, something terrible is going to happen. Um, and, and other bridge collapses that have happened in the, you know, 50 some years since people have said that there are Mothman sightings around it, etc. But those are always funny because it's always afterwards. Oh, that bridge collapsed, and I, you know, somebody said they saw Mothman the week before. Nobody's ever like, "Hey, man, we saw Mothman around the bridge today, so maybe we should get it inspected or something." Yeah, maybe don't <laughs> use the bridge. Right. It's always it's always post facto, which is really easy to. It's like on the news, the Mothman was on this bridge. Maybe don't use it. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's just a giant owl looking thing with red eyes. <laughs> so what what actually happened is that over the course of 1967, the whole Mothman thing kind of died out. You know, it was a craze, sort of a mania for a while. And it was connected to the UFO thing, which was super hot. I mean, people were seeing UFOs all the time in this era. And kind of the men in black idea, which we can also come back to because that's that's where things get really weird, but also makes it really easy to to like attach totally disconnected things to Mothman because you're just like, I saw this guy who was kind of weird and I think it was Mothman or something. Mm-hmm. But basically, like that was it. Some people saw a weird thing. It got publicized. A bunch of other people saw weird things. And then everyone lost interest and they really lost interest when the bridge collapsed because that's sort of a major news event and it sort of crowds out, you know, silly stuff. Like I saw a man with red eyes in my backyard and that was it. That was like the end of the Mothman story until John Keel and Gray Barker came along who were, who had been writing UFO books for about a decade or so or more. And they were kind of in competition with each other. And Gray Barker wrote a book that described Mothman as having something to do with a bridge collapse. So that was this is the first indication, the first time somebody said, oh, I think Mothman actually was, was connected to this. Oh. But very few people read Barker's book. Um, he didn't he didn't become as popular as Keel. So in this book that I keep referencing, Strange Creatures from Time and Space, it was released in 1970, uh, just a few years after the the Mothman flap, if you will. <laughs> um, I will. It's perfect. <laughs> and and it was, there's a reprint of it called The Complete Guide to Mysterious Beings that you're probably more likely to find at your local library these days. Same book, though. Um, 
And this is funny because you see this is so this is the book where Keel's just sort of like cataloging this stuff. And he he takes a shot directly at Barker after having read his sort of quasi competitor frenemy Barker's book. Uh, so Keel writes, it is completely erroneous to blame the collapse of the rickety old silver bridge on flying saucers or men in black. Straight up. He's just like 1970. No way. This is this is silly. He doesn't mention Gray Barker, but he's basically this basically like a diss track. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the big difference, the big change happens five years later when Keel writes the Mothman prophecies. And here he decided clearly to take what was just like a bunch of weird incidents and construct a narrative out of them. So instead of just like this guy saw a weird guy and these people saw something in the air and blah, blah, blah. He creates a story where all these disconnected things are part of an ongoing narrative and he inserts himself into it. So so he depicts himself experiencing weird things in the course of his investigation. Hell yeah. I mean, if you're going to make stuff up, why not make yourself the the center of the story? Exactly. Um, And this is where the men in black come in because Keel was really, he had researched UFOs and at some point decided like, I don't think aliens are actually visiting earth. It's, it's too outlandish, but he also realized that like weird books sold well. (laughs) So, So he came up with this idea called ultra terrestrials. And oh yeah so he decided that there was some kind of like cosmic intelligence that was responsible for every kind of like craze of weird sightings that happened going back to like the alien airships of the late 19th century the ufo sightings angels going back in the past these were all like basically this alien intelligence that was somehow interfering with or manipulating human destiny and then they were creating these other phenomena as like a distraction Ooh, (laughs) yes and that they and he thought they might be from from another dimension or possibly like an advanced human civilization somehow oh it's very clever and imaginative stuff it is it is a very whole world that he has built yes so so that's what he did so he took all this stuff and and one of the famous incidents is the first sighting of Indrid Cold. Okay, I was I'm looking forward to Indrid Cold. Yeah. So the Men in Black, if people aren't familiar with the idea of the Men in Black, it's that they are whenever there's some kind of strange encounter, particularly with UFOs, these unusual men in black suits show up. Not unlike the movie. Um, but they're probably slightly less charismatic and funny. Aren't they supposed to look really weird? Yeah. So that's <laughs> the thing. So the so the the unstated but clear premise of the Men in Black is that they're actually aliens who are just like trying to act like humans with some kind of sort of imperfect human disguise, uh, kind of like Ted Cruz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they they always have you know like they don't react properly to conversations or they have like a bizarre fixed smile um sometimes they're just depicted as like government agents who are like you're not allowed to know about this but but generally it's like no they're the aliens who are showing up in their like human costumes to try and like intimidate people into not talking about whatever they saw 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the Matrix kind of played on like the agents and everything. It's, it's yeah, it's been exactly. played on. Yeah, that they're just weird out. They're outside, but they're also inside the world too. Like <laughs> definitely. So one of the it was, I think it was sixty six, and I think it was not far from Point Pleasant. Actually, there was a a, a man in black sighting, and and this guy said that. The man, the strange looking man with his weird fixed smile approached him and telepathically told him that his name was Indrid Cold. Oh. Which is a very creepy name in and mm-hmm. of itself. I don't know why. Just like a very unusual name. So so again, Keel, he's just drawing all this stuff and he's world building here. And he writes this book called The Mothman Prophecies in which Mothman is one of these ultra terrestrial interdimensional beings who you know for for reasons that are unfathomable to us mere humans has decided to appear ahead of strange uh strange human disasters and tragedies that was that actually is how i became really interested in mothman is because the movie the mothman prophecy is actually one of my favorite horror movies i think it's like despite everything i'm saying about mothman and my skepticism i love that movie and i love mothman completely well it doesn't mean it's not a good story it is exactly. a good story it's it's yeah like i don't know some people put down that movie or some people don't like richard gear or whatever but i i think that's a fantastic movie it's really creepy it's got some moments in it that just like i don't know turn your spine to ice yeah it's definitely i really like the movie too and i haven't seen it in a long time and it's it does really good with suspense building and you they don't you don't really see anything in that movie as far as i'm concerned it's just all the coincidences are just really creepy and good and i i think uh richard gear did a really good job in that oh yeah yeah it's a great performance um the voice of indrid cold on the phone is just like yeah holy cow so that got me interested and that is why i read the book and then I also found strange creatures from time and space. And that was when I read that paragraph where he was like, it's stupid to connect it to the silver bridge. And I'm like, I caught you red handed (laughs) (laughs) like five years later, you completely, you know, just like, so that's John Keel creating the legend of Mothman and Mothman was definitely popular before the movie, but that movie, I think just, just like it did for me, I think it created a lot more interest um, so that is really in my mind, like where did this legend come from? It, it just grew from almost nothing. And then through like a series of strange factors and coincidences and intentional human action grew into, you know, something much, much bigger. That's awesome. I like to, I like to think about it, like in terms of other human stories, like of people seeing stuff. And of course we talked about Grays earlier, but then we talked about Grays, we talked about Bigfoot. Um, but I just love the idea that it was just this weird one-off story and then just became big just because people kind of picked it up and ran with it. I wonder how many other things are like that. Probably a lot. Yeah. Like like religion itself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. well, like when I... I've got no arguments. You're right. Yeah, you're well, two former Catholics. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when I say like you know, because Mothman is like this sort of folk tale or folk hero now, you know, like 
they're, one of my favorite Twitter accounts is the Mothman Twitter account. That's just like, oh, okay. It, it just tweets like Mothman exists and he wants you to know you're doing great. It's Aww. just, it's just a sort of the, like Aww. Mothman affirmations. But it's um, a moth, it's a moth formation. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but that's why I love like this is that rare instance where we can actually trace it all the way back to you know that seed being planted in the ground and it just happened to be fertile ground. We can't do that. Like we don't. What what happened? Like the first person who I don't know, you know, thought they saw or heard the word of God or saw an angel or got a glimpse at the cycle of, you know, reincarnation or something. I mean, there's so many different religions and, and like, we'll never know what weird little seed that came from, but we have this one bizarre example of that process happening right in front of us over the course of, you know, about 50 years. Yeah, I mean, sampling, sampling wildlife and mushrooms, you know, you know, you never know. Yeah. See if they're edible. And then you hear the word of God. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's like a ton of research about the way the human brain works and yes. how we're predisposed to, you know, to see these things and, and construct these sort of mythologies. Um, it's interesting. I, I don't know why. I don't know why that's evolutionarily advantageous. That's kind of an interesting question. But um, But we do it. We do it all the time. And even like as a skeptic, you, I, I think it's just important to recognize how often you get fooled by your own eyes and your own brain. Yes. I've seen so things. In, in my mind, um, I have always thought of it this way. It is culture building. It's a culture building activity and cooperation is important to our species. So stories like that bring us together, even though it's a weird scary story it still brings us together and we're still talking about it with each other and it's still a part of our culture and we think we hear the mothman before the bridge collapses i think it's a lot of that just that pattern building and trying to come together with weird stories it's almost like been throughout our history as human beings coming out of africa yeah definitely like it's just such a complex combination of factors, right? Like, yeah, it brings us together. So we, we crave that kind of community feeling from sort of sitting around the campfire and telling these stories. We're also strangely drawn to mysteries. So like, why, why is that? But that's, that's really interesting. Like we just cannot resist the, the unknown and telling stories about what might be out there in the dark. That's just so built into us. I think one consideration that has been of interest, just something that I've been like loosely interested in is that up until somewhat recently, most stories were told to adults and children indiscriminately and children's content wasn't, there were like stories to teach lessons to children that would be too simple for adults, but they weren't necessarily nonviolent and teaching your kids to not walk alone in the woods is really important. Uh, teaching your kids to uh, stay in groups is really important. Teaching your kids to not touch the fire is really important. To not play with the wild animals, to not eat the berries. So I'm wondering if on top of culture building, there's also cultural survival because of like, you know, the the Mothman story is it's scary to be in the woods and something will follow you. 
So you stay in groups and maybe you don't go alone in the woods at night. That is really interesting. Yeah. It's a practical consideration. And a story is much more memorable than a lesson of don't go in the woods alone. A thousand percent. I totally agree with this. Did you guys ever see the movie The The Witch? The Witch that came out a few years ago? Yeah. I didn't Uh, watch it. It was too scary for me. (laughs) It's it's really a good one. And it kind of touches on these themes. Like when when I was watching it, like there are so many aspects to it. It's like, are we is this really the story? Are we watching a family, a Puritan family who is cast out? basically go insane and starve to death and blame it on a malevolent creature that lives in the woods. Like there's very, I, I, I kind of juggled that when I watched that movie, it's one of my favorites because it's like, yeah, totally. All those, all those scary fairy tales, they were not as twee as they used to be. Like they, they're more twee than they used to be is my point. It's like, there's, they're scary as hell. Like, they Hansel talk about exactly <laughs> exactly like she was gonna straight up eat you don't go into the forest by yourself <laughs> so there's a really excellent documentary on uh shutter the streaming service about full core which is basically exactly what we're talking about here mm-hmm. right like these these kind of stories about either the horror that's in nature or the horror that's um that's lurking within, you know, some older civilization that predates us. It's and it's really good. I highly recommend that documentary. Um, I think the witch is mentioned there. My my big takeaway from the witch is that um, ever since I saw it, I've definitely been living deliciously. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, I have I have it in my office. It says, uh, "Would Stell like to live deliciously?" And the answer is always yes. I want butter and dresses, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's one other storytelling consideration is um humans get bored and stories are really interesting and it it ties into the social capital as well of like if you can tell a good story if you can have some points of interest you're not gonna get as bored and we're just inclined to if we if we're bored we're gonna make stuff up you know so there's there's a really funny tie in there because kind of the capstone on the whole Mothman story is um, many years later, some private letters between John Keel and Gray Barker came out and in, in these letters. So they're kind of complex because at times they really kind of like uh, were a little high on their own supply. Should we say they, they got <laughs> They, they got a little interested or they got a little convinced that the men in black were real at times. But despite that, in the letters, they very clearly are like, man, you know, I, I tried to write like serious scientific analyses of the UFO thing and the and it's just not selling anymore. But when I'm John Keel says this, he's like, but when I just like make up crazy stuff, you know, that's the only way I can sell books. And, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's what we're going to have to do. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> so my my favorite example when I talk about how in that 1970 book Keel just like lists a bunch of weird Mothman encounters with no citations or anything. At one point later, he actually um, claims that Mothman flew away with a uh, Red Cross bloodmobile. 
<laughs> this just didn't make the news apparently just like a whole a whole van i guess full of blood donations was stolen by a mothman and, and he he just with a straight face john keel would tell you a story like that um so so that you know it's just like it's right there they just admitted like yeah we just gotta we have to make up goofy stuff and and keel decided that you know altered dimensionals were more interesting than than anything else so uh yeah but man i what does mothman do with a blood mobile dump it on a bridge to market i i mean <laughs> drop it on the bridge so everybody knows right because what you if know. mothman's benevolent what if mothman is like bringing it faster to the oh he was just he i mean that is kind of like the the mothman paradigm these days like I think I don't think people are scared of Mothman. I think a lot of people are like, "Hell yeah, Mothman!" <laughs> I mean, there's you know, there's festivals and there's the the statue that I think everybody can probably picture that statue. But if you can't, Google the Mothman statue because there's one particular one that's pretty famous. There's a museum in Ohio too. A whole museum, wow. Yeah, because my uh, parents and I drove from North Carolina to Michigan and back in July. And I noted the Mothman museum. It's part of me, why I actually got in contact with you finally to interview <laughs> about this. Cause I saw it twice. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. But I think, um, yeah, I think the prevailing attitude is these days is Mothman is good actually. Yeah. especially uh, It's like the- this weird, chaotic, good character. Like we don't know what he's going to do. And we don't know why he's doing it, but it's for the good. Right. Yeah. Like in the movie, um, presumably Mothman causing the car accident is how they discover his wife's brain tumor. Um, oh. Right. So it obviously didn't actually work to save her, but it's an interesting idea. Hey, you can be benevolent without being successful. <laughs> right. He tried. Mothman is out there trying his best. <laughs> It's like it's more like a harbinger of things. Like he just, I just need you to know this. Yeah, it's like kind of that character. Like I'm supposed to tell you this. I can't really do anything about it, but I'm supposed to tell you this. And then after that, you decide. So there's like a little bit of free will, humanity's free will thing going on too. If only we could interpret his uh, his prophecies more accurately. His phone screeching. <laughs> <laughs> was that him or was that Indrid Cold? That, that was, was Indrid. Okay. So that's the question: like, is Indrid Cold the Mothman, or or is he just like the Mothman's associate, like his manager? His <laughs> manager. We need to teach Indrid Cold how to start a blog, <laughs> so that he can write down the prophecies, and we can have a better interpretation of what Mothman's onto. <laughs> But I do, I love the idea. Was one of the things that really captivated me about the movie is the sort of heavy-handed exposition when he goes to talk to the professor and the professor's like, this thing, it has motivations that we can't possibly understand. So like, it's not just trying to warn us. It It's kind of like you just said, like it needs us to know about this stuff for some reason, even though we might not necessarily be able to do anything about it. So like what kind of weird, you know, psychic energy or maybe it feeds on grief or dread or something or you know but the idea basically that like it's such an alien intelligence that it does things 
that we couldn't possibly comprehend. You know, we're we are like ants to it mentally and emotionally. I mean, that's yeah, a very but then t- why would it need us to know that? Like, if it's like, okay, well, those there's this thing. Like, I, it's so strange. I'm trying to have, think of other examples of it. We have to be the main character. Yeah, that's Even true. if we're not the enlightened character, we have to be the main character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. That is very true. John Keel definitely needs to be the main character. <laughs> if someone was to play you in a movie, do you think you would get as, like, complimentary a casting as Richard Gere? I don't know that I would. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's... Um... No, they'd probably find someone who who would work for scale. <laughs> um, they just try and get me. That they're like, you're not, you're not saying after, right? You can do, you can, you can work for non-union rates. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> you can do it yourself. Awesome. So, is there any other Mothman lore or where Mothman has gone that you'd like to cover? I don't think so. I I just hope that Mothman keeps soaring higher and higher in pop culture i i love i do love mothman despite my skepticism about his origins i I just love the story i love the movie um i i don't know i want to say like i wish they'd make a bunch of sequels but of course that wouldn't really work because mothman's not like jason or freddy where he can just keep coming back and being creepy like there's a whole you have to build this weird an unexpected narrative full of dread around him. And I don't think you can go back to that well too many times, but um, yeah, man, I should get, I should get like a Mothman poster to put up in my office. I think I love Mothman. That's a good Do idea. You, or was there a lot of sightings after that movie came out again? Like it seems like it would kick up more sightings. Do you guys know? I don't know off the top of my head if there was like a cluster of sightings after the movie. Um, I know that there's a bridge collapse in, I think it was Minneapolis a couple of years later. That was one of the ones that was connected to Mothman that I think probably would, you know, wouldn't have been connected if not for the movie. Oh, okay. Um, I actually, I have a funny story. The first time I, when I saw the movie was when it was released in theaters and, you know, I had no idea where it was going because I hadn't read any of this stuff yet. And at the exact moment that the bridge starts to collapse, the film broke <laughs> so like it just ends and we're just sitting there in a dark theater and i'm like oh is that how that is that how it ends like that would be so badass like they're just like the bridge is about to collapse and then it's just yoink that's the end of the movie <laughs> so it was it was kind of a stunning creepy moment and then like the lights came up and they're like hold on we got to fix the film <laughs> and then we saw the rest the, the end of the movie but oh did you look over and mothman was sitting next to you you're like whoa <laughs> <laughs> No, but I had this weird like dust on my leg. I don't know, you know, <laughs> moth, moth wing, uh, moth fairy dust. What is that stuff? I guess that's like scales from their wings, right? Yeah, it's scales from their wings. So oh. does my yeah? So does Mothman just kind of like leave a trail of Mothman dust everywhere he goes? I I haven't seen mention of that in any of the stories. Well, we just watched Constantine and they were talking about the smell of sulfur everywhere because of the demons. Mm. And it was like, maybe there's like a smell or something too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Mothman smell. <laughs> the Mothman smell. We, we need to release a Mothman candle. <laughs> I love what that idea. What does it idea. smell like? Cryptid candle line. Oh, oh my we, gosh. 
Emily, we need to do this. I, mean, I, I actually really want to. <laughs> <laughs> we have to decide what Mothman candle smells like. It smells like pine. Yeah. And high explosives. Yes. Explosives. Some, There's some a like, bit of gunpowder. A little hay for a barn. Uh, yeah. Oh, for the owls. Yes. Teenager sweat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some maybe some Charlie perfume for the Oh my god. <laughs> so where does Ed Grabinowski go? Where can people find your work? So I have a website called robotviking.com that is um, woefully out of date and needs to be revised and updated. So probably the best way is actually just to follow me on Twitter which is uh, my Twitter handle is robot Viking um, because whatever I do, I end up talking about there. So all the various strange things I do, whether it's music or writing or whatever, it's um, I, I won't shut up about it on Twitter. So that's the easiest place to keep track of what's going on. Plus pictures of my dog, Winston. <laughs> nice. And we'll post links in the show notes to all of Ed's work. So that, and his Twitter, so you can find, because uh, he's underselling what he does. He writes a lot. He's also an active musician who records music a lot. <laughs> uh, your band is called Space Lord, is that right? Yes, yes. Um, Space Lord is uh, currently disbanded, but... Oh, uh, sorry. But, but, no, that's okay. It was uh, an amicable sort of head run its course kind of thing. But the Bandcamp page is, is still there. So there's uh, three full-length albums and an EP. And I think we made some pretty cool sort of 70s-tinged psychedelic rock that you might enjoy. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ed. This yeah. was awesome. This was so Thank much you. fun. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Thank you.